Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Thursday, June the 29th, 2023. It is currently 429 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central Studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. And if you heard this sound, did you hear that sound? That was the cord. (laughs) That's the cord for my MacBook Pro. And when I lifted up my iPad to give you the date and the time... You heard that. See, I, I see. We're already off to a bad start. I, I guess we could ask, how do you determine if your podcast is a a good one or a bad one? If you if you make some sound like this during your intro, does that make it a bad podcast? How do you determine when something is good? How do you determine when something is bad? How do you determine when something is successful? How do you determine when something is a failure? How do you determine? Right. How do you determine when things are right? How do you determine when things are wrong? When you look at a church, how do you determine if that church is successful or how do you determine if that church is a failure? Now, we all know the right answers sometimes, right? We know the church answers. Well, we know if they're faithful to the word of God, then they're a success. And if they're not faithful faithful to the word of God, then they're not successful. And we say it's not based off numbers and it's not based off buildings. And we know to say that, but over and over and over again, we have a way of looking at success from a very fleshly perspective. I think we can all agree to that, right? Because if a church is not growing, people are leaving, it's getting smaller and smaller and smaller, we have a tendency to say, well, they're doing something wrong. And look at that church, they're growing. They have to be doing something right. Now, sometimes... If we really love the church that's getting smaller, we'll be like, well, they're getting smaller because they're faithful to the word of God and they're getting bigger because, well, they they appeal to the flesh. And then sometimes we'll flip it around. Well, they're getting smaller because they've become a cult and they, and they're this. And, and we, in other words, we, we flip it around with really whatever fits our narrative, right? Whatever fits our narrative. So I, I don't know. Do we really have a good way of understanding things spiritually. Do we have a really, do we have a spiritual mindset when we try to determine if something is successful, if something is a failure? I I really want you to think about that because I think there's, I think there's a lot of wrong ways of looking. I put it this way. I think our, our mindset and our viewpoint is very fleshly, right? I mean, like when I'm done with a podcast episode, how do I determine if it was good or if it was bad? How do I, do I determine on, you know, hey, if I, if I get a lot of people saying, hey, that was a good podcast episode, that was very convicting. Yeah, see, that was a success. Do I look at numbers? Do I look at numbers? Like right now, uh, we're very close. In fact, I've got the numbers pulled up right here. Um, we are at 199,000. 534 downloads and streams for today. If we get 466 more, we're going to hit 200,000. Do I see that as a, do I have, do I see that as a success? Someone just said in chat, I think folks uh, uh, 
confuse feelings with spiritual. I think that, I think that's absolutely true that we do that all the time. So sometimes with our feelings is like, well, that's a good thing. Then we will then say, see, it's spiritually, it's biblical. And when it goes against our feelings, then it won't be. Sometimes it's very confusing and inconsistent in the way we handle things. But if we hit 200,000 today, if we hit 200,000 today, do I pat myself on the back and go, I'm successful? I, I did a successful podcast. It's a, it's, a, it's a good thing. God is blessing it. Do, do I say that? Now, if I'm not getting the numbers, do I say, well, God is not blessing it? Sometimes this, these, this very kind of language is used in church, right? If the place is packed, right? And, and, and there's lots of excitement and buzz. People are like, God is moving. God is blessing our ministry. But if people are leaving and the numbers are getting smaller and smaller and smaller, do we say, God is blessing our ministry? God is moving. No, then we're like, something is wrong. I don't know if we have a correct way of looking at it. Now, I want you to just take all of that. I'm just kind of just laying a foundation, right? I just, I'm just kind of laying a foundation here. I want you to take all, all of those things I just throw, all those illustrations, all those things I just said, and I want you to take a minute and I want you to consider your spiritual life. Your spiritual life. And, and I, when you think about a Christian spiritual life, when you think about your spiritual life, a lot of times words are used that go something like this, the victorious Christian life. All right. So what, what are the marks of a victorious Christian life? You are growing spiritually or no, 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 no. You're backsliding. You are spiritual. No, you're carnal. You are godly. No, you are fleshly. You are loving God. No, you're loving the world. You are pursuing God. No, you're pursuing worldliness. That the Christian life is constantly described in terms of basically success versus failure, winning versus losing. Right? We use that same kind of language. Like I start a podcast and I and this happens, and my mind's like, well, I'm losing. Wait, that's not success. Wait, that's, that's failure. Wait, that's, that's embarrassing. Wait, I need to do the intro over. Wait, I'm, I'm wondering if I can edit that out. Wait, like, like, now you're probably not even hearing it, but I'm hearing it and it's irritating me that I keep doing it, but I'm trying to prove a point. Like I'm trying, I'm basing it off that. So in your Christian life, you, you probably think somewhat along those lines, right? I'm growing spiritually. I'm not growing. I'm moving forward. I'm backsliding. I'm, I'm pursuing godliness. Oh no, I'm pursuing worldliness. I'm fleshly. No, I'm spiritual. I'm carnal. No, I'm godly. And, and Christianity, if you think about it, has created an entire, you know, Christian industrial complex to try to help Christians get to the, to the victory, to get to the promised land, right? Hey, stop wandering in the wilderness in your spiritual life and move into the promised land and take these five steps and we will guarantee your spiritual victory. Come to our conference and your life will be changed by our book. Get our Bible study curriculum. So much of it is sold that if you'll get this sermon series, come to our church, go to our conference buy our books that we've got the secret and you'll move to. And it's almost like it's always contrasting 
kind of a, a spiritual failure with a spiritual victory, which to me turns the entire spiritual life into a life of almost competition. It turns it into winning and losing. It comes into measuring. It's like like keeping score, right? It's like a lot of times people will say, now when it comes to sports, I'm not so good at hearing these words, but it's not whether you win or lose. It's how you play the game. When it comes to sports, I lose my mind. I'm like, no, it's about winning. That's why they keep score. (laughs) Okay. So don't give me, it's about how you play the game. No, it's not about having fun. It's about winning, right? Okay. So very competitive there, right? Very competitive. But when it comes to your spiritual life, I think sometimes that same kind of, we see things from that perspective, winning, losing, victorious defeat, godly, ungodly, growing, backsliding. We see it in these very absolute kind of terms, and then we get like, we're always kind of keeping score and you're, and, and sometimes, you know, you're supposed to, you know, examine yourself. And I understand that there's some biblical calls for that, but I wonder like what happens when your Christian life becomes basically a competition. It becomes basically a performance-based system where you're constantly determining good enough, not good enough, guilt. Oh, I feel good. Spiritual, not spiritual. I wonder what happens when that mindset dominates one's Christian life. Now, when when we start talking this way, usually there are certain things that become like, this is the key. This is this is how you measure your your victory in the Christian life. This is how you measure your spiritual growth, but it also becomes the thing that's supposed to fix it, right? So, hey, how do you know you're growing spiritually? Well, how much time do you spend reading God's word? Do you attend church? And then we know this one, how is your prayer life? Now, you judge where you are spiritually by doing these things, but if you're not doing these things, then people will offer these things as a solution, right? Pray more, read your Bible more. I mean, that's the answer to everything. I make the joke all the time. If you if you ever get ran over by a truck and you're laying in the middle of a highway, right? And you're like in pain and you're bleeding. If Christians run up to you, they'll say, the only solution to this is you need to read your Bible more, pray more, join a small group and go to church because that, that fixes, every problem is fixed with those things. I feel I'm depressed and I'm having suicidal thoughts. Pray more, go to church more, join a small group, get an accountability partner. Okay. It's, it's the same. It's the same. Okay. A little bit of hyperbole there, but you, you get the idea. But a, a lot of times it's read the Bible and do these things, but the prayer life is discussed a lot. And for the purpose of this episode, I want to talk about the prayer life. Now, whenever you hear sermons about your prayer life, do you feel that once again, it becomes another, basically a, a, another, another task in which you must perform and then how you must do it the right way at the right time and the right amount? Because if you don't, you are not spiritual. I remember, I mean, one of the most famous books on prayer is by, I think, E.M. Bounds, The Complete Works on Prayer by E.M. Bounds. I had the one volume set of the complete works of prayer by M. Bounds when I was a teenager. When I was a teenager, make sure I use my words correctly and not <laughs> make up half, you know, leave words out of my sentences. And I remember reading the book. 
reading the book. And I think I had walked from where we lived between Buffalo Gap and Tuscola, Texas, in the middle of nowhere, right? And right from our house, there was a kind of a dirt road that, well, the, the main road was a dirt road. Then you turned onto the other dirt road to get back to my house. It kind of sat on like, what, two acres, three acres of land? I don't remember. It was just in the middle of nowhere. When you came, when you came down the dirt road to what was not really a main road, but it was, it was the road that got you there. Um, and you crossed right over it. You would kind of come right down and there was a big drop off and way down below, I don't know, maybe 20 feet down was the railroad tracks. And then there was a big, there was a little one lane bridge up there that I I used to, uh, trying to drive over that bridge was crazy because when you pulled up on the bridge, you could not see on the other side, but the bridge was only big enough for one car. So if two cars came up, they had to, one, someone was going to have to stop and back up so the other one could get across. It was crazy. But, uh, and that bridge was so cool because you could stand on it and look down and see the train that was like 20 feet below. And I always thought about jumping off the bridge onto a train, thought it would be cool because they do that in movies, but okay. All right. I digress. But I I would hang out down there sometimes around the train tracks and just watch the train. So I remember sitting there. It's like 530, 6 o'clock in the evening. It may have been even a little later. The sun was getting ready to go down. And I think it was I think it I think it was summertime. Who knows? It's always summertime in West Texas. So I don't know. But uh, the sun was getting ready to go down and I'm sitting there just reading the complete works of prayer by E.M. Bounds. And I'm sitting there and I'm just thinking, there's no way. He's basically telling me that I need to be waking up at like three in the morning and I need to pray to like eight in the morning, even to be like, even to, even to get to like the, you know, I, I, I'll, I, I may just make the practice squad, right? That, that may just not, that won't even get me on the starting team. That, that I may be able to be a backup, like, you know, to really be like spiritually victorious to really, I've got to be praying like five, six hours a day. And I'm like, how do you do that? And it, it was all these stories of this person, whether it was Luther, or I, can, I don't remember all the, and like they woke up at this time and they prayed for this long and they prayed for this long. And I kept thinking, is my Christian life going to basically be just pray? Just all I do is pray. And I'm like, okay, that's what it takes to be victorious. That, but once again, it be, I begin to view it more like a competition. If I do this, then I'm successful. If I don't, I'm a failure. Have you ever struggled with viewing prayer simply as a task that one must be accomplished and the the amount of time you are engaged in it and the number of times in which you perform it determines now some level of spirit? You get a badge. Like like if we get to 200,000 downloads and streams today, if we do that, they're going to give me a little a little basically an icon that I can pub- post all over the Internet today, right? I'm looking at I'm looking at the screen right now, and uh, yeah, it, it, whenever we get to two hundred thousand, then it'll be this like little thing I can take and I can post everyone. Hey, look, we got two hundred thousand downloads today, right? I want sometimes I feel like the Christians we kind of look at that. Oh, I go to prayer meeting on Wednesday nights and we pray for an hour, so our church is obviously more spiritual because we have prayer meeting. Your church doesn't have prayer meeting. Oh, I pray, you know, two hours a day. How much of our spiritual life, whether it's scripture, scripture memory, Bible study, or prayer, becomes almost a, it's just a performance. It's just a, 
It's almost like a competition. It's like I've got to score enough points so that now I can put myself in the winning side. I'm not carnal. I pray. I'm not carnal. I study my Bible. I See, I'm spiritual. I'm not fleshly. I'm godly. I love God. Because look at, and, and how much of your Christian life is measured by time and what you do? Now, I've viewed my Christian life in a much more performance-based way almost my whole Christian life. Now, I would hear over and over and over, it's a relationship, it's a relationship. I would constantly hear that. But you would hear one sermon about it being a relationship, and then you would get 15 sermons telling you, do this, do that, do this. If you don't do this, you're backslidden. If you don't do this, you may not even be saved. Do this, do that. You need to do this. You need It's all these constant lists of things to do. And I just wonder, how, what is the long-term impact on one's Christian life? And now I'm going to ask even a, a more pointed question before I... I know I'm spending, I've spent now 16 minutes really just on this illustration, but I think this, this, to me, this is the most important point of all of this. What happens when we take prayer? Now, at its very, and this most simplest definition, prayer is me communicating with God, is me communicating with my Savior, is communicating with my Creator. It's just communication, Right? Now, what happens when I take my communication with God and I make that some kind of test on if I'm spiritual, if I'm not spiritual? If, if I, if I pray this many hours, then I'm better off. If I do this, I'm not, I'm not uh, fleshly. I'm spiritual. I'm not carnal. I'm spiritual. What, What happens when your communication with God basically becomes some kind of measurement of one's spirituality or one's godliness. Do you, does it not feel like you're cheapening? You're taking something that's supposed to be this intimate communication with your creator. And now you're measuring it on the, uh, to determine your success. Like you're, you're using your communication with God as a way to make you feel better about yourself or determine that you are more spiritual. Doesn't that cheapen the actual communication? I'm going to talk to you, God, for two hours so that I feel spiritual, that I know that I'm more godly, that I can say I'm living this victorious Christian life. Doesn't that cheapen it? Now, I ask all of this because I have an article in front of me that says, what does a prayer life look like? Now, I haven't read the article yet, so I have no idea if this is going to turn very performance-based or if it's going to look at prayer a little differently. But I just want you to think of your entire Christian life and how much of it do you see it as this growing, not growing, carnal, spiritual, like all of these like kind of very definitive terms of of winning and losing, victorious, defeat, spiritual, carnal. Now, I know there's some of that obviously in scripture, so I'm not saying there's no element of truth to that, but then it just turns the entire Christian existence into just a performance. And you're just constantly trying to win. You're trying to constantly get enough points so that you're on the victorious side versus the losing side. And I think that destroys the concept of relationship. I think it turns the most spirit, these most beautiful spiritual gifts God's word, reading it, studying it, memorizing it, praying, 
listening to sir, all of these wonderful g- turns it all into just points on a scoreboard. I'd love you look, feel free to tell me your thoughts on any you some of you may be going, I don't even know what he's talking about. None of it makes any sense. Maybe it's just me. Maybe you're like maybe you're like, I don't even see a problem. But if you do, I would love to get your thoughts. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. But now that we're 20 minutes into my very, very, very lengthy long <laughs> introduction, let's look at a little bit of this article and just see how they approach this subject of prayer. All right. So it says, what does a prayer life look like? And it shows an individual sitting on a couch, sitting on a couch. Uh, he's got his uh, elbows on his knees. He's got his hands kind of folded, his head bent down, and he is obviously praying. All right. So what does a prayer life look like? Is that what a prayer life looks like right there? Is that sitting on your couch praying? Is that what it looks like? What does it look like? They quote 1 Thessalonians 5. 16 through 18. First Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. I'm going to look it up. They've got it typed out there, but I just like looking up scripture in a physical Bible. So I'm going to look it up here in this physical Bible that I have here next to me. That is like <laughs> so small that I don't even know if I can find the book. Sorry, here we go. First Thessalonians chapter 5. I don't even know if I can read this print. First Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. You just have to have happen to be happens to be sitting here. First Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. You know the words, right? Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. And everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks. Rejoice, pray, give thanks. Rejoice, pray, give thanks. The translation in this article is rejoice, always pray, uh, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the God's will for you in Christ Jesus. The article begins, and I quote, Have you ever seen a breathtaking sunset that makes you pause and reflect on just how beautiful this life can be and how incredible our God is. Yesterday, I had the privilege of seeing such a sunset. While it was not taken in, while it was not taken in quietly by any means because we were coming home from a softball tournament and the car was jam-packed with rowdy kids, I still felt a sense of peace wash over me. The sight of it prompted me to marvel and the and the majestic nature of our God and open up my heart to him. Maybe you've encountered times in which all you can do is stare in awe at a particular moment. The rush of emotions overtakes you in a way that makes you crave God's closeness. Maybe it's the scene of lovebirds as they say their vows on their wedding day. Maybe it's the whisper of the wind as it meets the leaves and produces a pretty song as you hike along a winding trail. Maybe it it is sipping on a cup of coffee and delighting in the goodness as you have just a few minutes to yourself. Maybe it is a sunrise or sunset. It is often in those moments that our God meets with us and we can feel his presence or sense his peace. Being connected to our creator is like nothing else we will ever experience. And we all crave it. We long for it. We desperately need connection, especially to our creator. 
All right, now there's a lot here. Obviously, this is using very emotional language. We could talk that some people have those same those so same feelings, but just not directed towards God. But those same situations can bring certain emotions. I don't think you have to be a believer to have those emotions and seeing being at awe of a sunset or a sunrise. But okay, that we we all desire some connection to our Creator. Okay, all right. So far, so good. Let's see where they go with this. But what about the times when God feels distance or we don't have those awe-inspiring moments where we feel submerged in his presence? What about the times our faith is wavering or we slip into a pattern of connecting with others, hoping they will fill this void within us only to find that they fall short? Now, I... This does raise lots of questions. Now, I just want to know what they're going to have to say about prayer. But I always have this. To me, this is another one of those weird Christian double. It's almost Christian double speak, right? We say sometimes very contradictory things that, hey, all you need to be happy, to be complete, to be satisfied is Jesus Christ. And if you go looking for someone else to fulfill you, they will not. They will let you down. They can never fulfill you the way Jesus can. They can never make you complete the way God can. Well, then why do we even need and pursue any other kind of relationship with anyone? And then but at the same time, we'll turn around and say, it's not good for man to be alone. So we do need someone. But but nobody can give us what God can. So what God gives us is great, but it's not, but there's something missing in God himself. God himself is not sufficient enough to satisfy us and give, give us contentment and happiness and joy. And we don't need anything else. No, 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 no. You need, you also need the physical. So God can only fulfill you this way. And then you need the other person. They can fulfill you this way, but they can't fulfill you spiritually. Is that the way we understand it? Is that, is that the way we, 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 we hope to understand it? It's just sometimes I feel like that on one hand, we preach a sermon. It's like the only thing that will satisfy, the only thing that will make you happy, the only thing that will bring true contentment, the only thing that will bring true, true peace is a relationship with your creator. Wait, you need more than that because it is good for a man not to be alone. You now need a physical relationship. But that, don't look for that physical relationship to give you what God can because only God can give it. But but you need more than God because God alone won't take away this other. So what do we what do we actually need? I, I think it always depends on what sermon you're preaching at a particular time. All right. So here they're like, hey, um, it says, what about those times our faith is wavering? Are we slip into a pattern of connecting with other people, hoping that they will fill the void within us? only to find that they fall short. Now, I added the word people. They just say connecting with others. I put people there to make it clear. Connecting with others, hoping they will fill the void within us, only to find that they fall short. Now, this is where, this is where prayer comes in. This is where a life devoted to prayer becomes our lifeline. A life devoted to prayer. I almost want to write that down in my in my journal. I want, I'm going to run and write that down. I'm going to write that that phrase down. Okay, I'm going to write it down. I know, I know, I know. This is not this is not entertaining. Uh, this is not good uh, broadcasting etiquette. But I'm going to do this. All right, a life. I'm writing this down. A life dedicated 
to prayer. Now, when you think of that phrase, if you were to write that phrase down, a life dedicated to prayer, has that ever in any way, shape, or form ever described your life? Are you, has your life ever been dedicated to prayer? See, now, when I think of a life dedicated to prayer, you can't see, you can't see here, but in front of me, there is one, two, three, I think it's four volumes called The Liturgy of the Hours. I've talked about the Liturgy of the Hours for years and years and years and years. It's the ancient way the early church prayed. It's beautiful. It's meaningful. It's powerful. All right? Typically, and, and, it, and basically it's, it's been lost to most of the church. Basically, the only people who still practice it in any meaningful way is primarily found within Roman Catholicism and, fi and primarily found the priests are supposed to engage in the Liturgy of the Hours, but primarily you're going to find it for those well, in a monastery. So if you're going to live a life dedicated to prayer, do you need to be waking up each morning 5, you know, 4 a.m. to do morning prayer? Then do you do office of the readings? Then do you do uh, afternoon prayer? Then evening prayer? Then late night prayer? The early church had it broken into seven different uh, times, and then they modified it over time. But do you follow the liturgy of the air, uh, the liturgy of the hours? And every day at very specific hours you pray. How many Christians do you know truly live a life? And I'm going to use the phrase from this. Um. This is where, so when, when basically when all of these other things are happening, this is where a life devoted to prayer becomes our lifeline. So our lifeline is a life dedicated to prayer. Hey, to avoid all of the negative things where you're, you're pursuing the wrong things and you're going the wrong way, your lifeline is a life dedicated to prayer. Prayer is your lifeline, a life dedicated to it. Now, should we feel guilty? I mean, what is it? True, honestly, what would it look like? I mean, if you're if if I say that that person's life has been dedicated to that, what what would you think that would imply? That person has dedicated their life to music. They've dedicated their life to basketball. They've dedicated their life to football. They've dedicated their life to academic pursuits. They've dedicated their life to the study of biology. They've studied, they dedicated their life to art. They dedicated their life to whatever, you know, medicine. To say that we, that a life dedicated to prayer, that, that, that seems to describe something that I don't know how, I don't know if that's, it, it's, should we even expect that in the life of most believers? This is when we place our hearts. Now, here we go. So a life de uh, devoted to prayer becomes our lifeline. This is when we place our hearts, hurts, hang ups at the feet of Jesus and ask for him to draw near and revitalize our faith. But what does a prayer life look like exactly? So, hey, what does it look like? All right. So if we're going to have a life of prayer, what does it look like? They're going to tell us what it looks like. All right, here we go. 
Great question. I've asked that myself several times, and I've discovered in my own prayer life that there are three parts mentioned in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 that help me develop a deeper way to connect with our Father. Let's take a deep dive into each. Now, I'm going to go through these relatively quick, all right, but let's just see where this goes. First is, obviously, we go back to 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 16. Let me open it up again in my Bible here. Again, I'm using this very small Bible. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 16. Rejoice evermore. So they're going to say a life of prayer, a life dedicated to prayer. A prayer life involves rejoicing in the Lord. If you want to connect with our God, we need to recognize who we who we are praying to first. While we can't ha- while we can have a personal relationship with God, and He is loving and compassionate Father that knows us intimately, we must remember that He deserves our utmost respect and honor. We honor and show reverence to our God by rejoicing in who he is. We can do that in a praise. uh, We can do that in praise or song. We can also do that in delighting in his blessings. He has so graciously bestowed upon us or taking in the beautiful sights around us. Rejoicing in God is the first step and opens the door of our prayer life. Next time you see a beautiful sunset, soak it in. When you have a special moment with a loved one, choose to realize that God brought you together. When you meet a goal, give him his glory. Whether you are experiencing happiness or hardship in this life, you'll be able to rejoice in the Lord for his faithfulness and promises to see you through each and every season. So they're saying basically the first part is praising God. Rejoicing in the Lord is basically praising him. All right, so a life of prayer consists of a life of praising God. Praising God, giving him glory, praising him for who he is. Now, some of that seems to be praising him for what he does, which would be more thanksgiving, but in this part we'll just say praising him for who he is. All right? Uh next, talking to God continually. Now, and if you look at the text, first or First Thessalonians five uh, sixteen, first is rejoice evermore, and the next pray without ceasing. They say talking to God continually, having a deeper relationship with God means being in constant communication with Him. Just like you chat with your best friend over lunch and spill the beans beans about what you are excited about or voicing your concerns, but instead we can take all that to God first. Paul shares with the church at Thessalonica that in order to connect deeper with the Lord, we need to posture our hearts for prayer and approach him in a willing attitude. Just like with any relationship, they only, they only grow, they, uh, they only grow when we make time for them, to, uh, time and give them our love and attention. We must not only make time to, for God and give him our attention, but we also make him our first priority. As we go about our day, we can stay in touch with God by letting him be a part of it, conversing with him about the big and little things, sharing the pain and sorrow and the joys and blessings. When we hand over our hearts and invite him into our lives, we commit. We come to a place where we can develop a more meaningful and deeper relationship with him rather than the one that is merely surface level. Now, you see, they kind of start sliding back into that very language that I started this entire broadcast about. See? Hey. You don't want a, a Christian life that's just surface level. You don't want to slide back and, and basically your Christian life not be very good. If you really want a good relationship with God, you must talk to him continually. Much, once again, it becomes a performance thing. It's a way, you, it's something you have to do to get the points in order to be winning. I, I don't like that way of, 
of understanding it. I know why we do it that way. It just seems to cheapen what we're doing. I'm not talking to God to win. I'm not talking God to, to try to, I should be talking to God because he is my creator and I want to talk to God and I want to engage God. Now, if we're supposed to be doing that continually, what does that look like? And I wonder, just I just, I just I just have to throw this out there. See, now we preach, this stuff preaches so good, right? Because it is immediately going to convict everyone and everyone's going to feel convicted. So uh, these make for great sermons. And I know I always blow up the template for how we should preach these things. But here's my question. If you're really talking to God first, you're, you're bringing all, all your small talk, all your struggles, all your frustrations, you're bringing everything to God first. If you really are talking to God all day and talking to him first, how much communication with others is going to have to go away or decrease? There's just no way you can maintain both. If you're spending, I don't know what an entire day communicating to God would look like, but when you're over there communicating to God, you're not communicating to someone else. So how much should we reduce our communication to others? I mean, I think it's a, it's a valid question. And then next, I'm going to go back to 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, and then in everything, give thanks. They say this. A prayer for life is one that places our needs and desires in front of Jesus, asking him to intervene and give us the desires of his heart. Essentially, putting God in charge of our hopes, dreams, wants, and needs, as well as our pain, hurt, and sorrow, all while giving him thanks in in each and every circumstance. Giving thanks to God in every circumstance allows us to surrender it all, knowing that we can't do this life and live abundantly without him. We fully recognize that we're nothing apart from God. As we grow in our relationship with God and see how he is moving in our lives, we're able to realize that he, his ways are always better and his plan and purpose for our life is indeed good. That, that plan unfolds for us in the gospels when we encounter and meet Jesus, hear of his story, his countless acts of love, and ultimately his sacrificial death for you and me. That should cause us to pause and reflect, giving us the opportunity to give God our sincere Thanks and praise. Now, what they do here is they wrap this up. And see, tell me if you feel that this slides over into, again, the more performance thing, right? The more performance thing. Do And already there's a little bit of this. Like, hey, if you don't want your Christian life to look like this, you got to do this. So it's all about check, 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 check. Boom, I got the points. I'm winning. And I, and, I, and I think that there's a danger in that. But this is how they wrap it up. Once we understand that the power of our prayer is invaluable and that it is vital when it comes to connecting deeply with our Father, it may bring into question how we put this all into practice. Now, someone in the chat just said, I can't speak for others, but this is definitely an area I've have a hard time trying to find balance with. Okay, good. Not the only one. I think, look, I, prayer has been a big struggle with me for my entire Christian life. It really has. It's just been a constant struggle. It really, it, I'm just going to be honest with you. 
And maybe because my first real exposure to prayer was the, the complete works of, on prayer by E.M. Bounds, but probably had massive detrimental impact on my, because I'm like, there's no way I'm pulling this off, right? Like, it's going to be like, hey, what are you doing today? Shh, don't talk to me. I'm praying. I'm talking to God. I got to get, I got, I cannot be a carnal Christian. I got to be, so, oh wait, there are no such thing as carnal Christians. I uh, know I got to prove that I'm saved. Okay. Depending on, you know, Lordship. Okay. We can get into all of that. But the point is, it was like, Hey, Hey, don't, no, no, no. What are you going to do on Friday night? What do you mean? What I'm going to do on Friday night? I'm going to be at the church all night praying. How come you're not going to be praying? We have to pray all the time, right? We, 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 we should be dedicated to prayer, a life dedicated to prayer. And if my life is dedicated to prayer, then what else am I doing? If my life is dedicated to prayer, is my life also supposed to be dedicated to his word? Is my life also supposed to be dedicated to serving others? Like, you know, like how many different things can I dedicate my life to? I, I don't know. That like, <laughs> it depends on which sermon is being preached. But here we go. He got, th- this is their conclusion. There are several ways you can make our prayer life more powerful and meaningful for us and God. All right, here are the steps to make your prayer life more meaningful. Are you ready? Here we go. Number one, make prayer a daily priority. As with any relationship, if we want it to grow and thrive, we must invest our time and pour energy into it. When it comes to our relationship with God, the most crucial of all relationships, we must strive to converse with him throughout our day. Even if we don't feel his presence or can't sense his closeness, we must remind our hearts that he is still with us. And truth be told, our feelings can hinder us from allowing him to draw near. So we must ask God to remove any obstacles that are prohibiting or distracting us from meeting with him. This then just continue to show up and share our hearts. So here you got to make it and say, I just, it just feels, it just feels, something just feels off. It feels like a performance. It feels like a competition. I mean, on one hand, we use relationship language, right? Hey, no relationship is going to last without communication. Okay, I got, I got you. I got you. But at the same time, what, what good is forced communication? If a relationship will not survive without communication, how long will a relationship survive with forced communication? Hey, you have to meet with God, even when you don't feel like it. You've got to continue to meet with God. It, don't let your feelings get in the way. You go communicate with God. Hey, God, I'm communicating with you today. I don't really want to communicate with you. I don't feel like communicating with you. I have no desire to be doing it, but I'm going to do this. Why? Because dun, dun, da, da. It's a spiritual discipline. And I do this. I get the points and I'm winning, right? Wouldn't it be better to communicate when there's a desire to and not communicate when there's not a desire to and try to figure out why there isn't a desire to more than just forcing you to do something because it's a spiritual discipline. I don't like seeing prayer as a spiritual discipline because it's actually communicating with, I don't know, God. God cannot be a task that I have to accomplish. All right, Lord, spiritual discipline time, 45 minutes of communicating with you. Don't want to, no desire to, don't want to be here, but just know I'm communicating with you so that I can check off my list that I did my spiritual discipline for the day. That just feels wrong to me. 
Now, there was a time in my Christian life, I'm like, that's right. You'd meet your spiritual disciplines. Be disciplined. Don't be lazy. Why are you so ungodly? What's your problem? Spending all your time watching this when you could be, you, you, you want to go to sleep? Forget sleep. Stay up and pray. That's more how I would have approached it as a younger Christian. Stop making excuses. But now I just, it just, to me, it turns prayer into, I don't like that feeling of what it turns it into. The second one is, now this one is interesting. The, the, the second one is dig into his word. Sometimes it can be unclear what or how to pray. When we find ourselves in this place, lean into his word. When we immerse ourselves in God's word daily, we find that it not only gives us prompts and direction on how to pray, but helps us navigate all the directions in our lives as well. Now, this is, it's just funny because whenever you hear sermons and whenever you read Christian articles, don't they always come down to the basic things? Read your Bible, pray, go to church, give money, right? It's always the same things, all right? Uh, all right, someone just said, not sure I understand asking for distractions to be removed. Like if my kids need something during my schedule time, should I ignore them? What what benefit then to see me, what would that benefit them to see me prioritizing prayer? That, that's a good point. Hey, God, remove all of my distractions. My spouse, my kids, my job, other human beings, <laughs> Life, okay. hunger, sleep, re, re, storms, remove all distraction. I, I, you, you can see why there was such a move in, in the early church for many people to join a monastery. They're like a life dedicated to prayer. Okay, well, I got to join a monastery because everything else is distractions. And not only that, look what the number two is. Now, now, wait a minute. I got a life dedicated to prayer. Now I'm supposed to be digging into his word every single day. I got to be digging into scripture. Oh, I'm supposed to be praying, but I'm supposed to be studying the scriptures. Now, again, I, when, when do you live your life? When, when are we to, when did you live your life? Aren't we, uh, someone just says, aren't we to hate all that stuff? Well, to, to some, well, and to some level, because, you know, if you don't hate father, mother, children, uh, then, you know, you're not worthy to be my disciple. Yeah, there are scriptures that talk about that, and we have to try to figure out exactly what he's trying to contrast. But even that would demonstrate that we have to love them above all these other things, which, again, just is law, which just condemns us, which is a whole different uh, story. But here, once again, now, we're supposed to be praying all the time, and now I have to immerse myself in God's Word daily. I need to stew on a Bible verse a day. Take a week to unpack a chapter or book in the Bible and see where God leads you. So now what I need to do is I got, I got to pray constantly, but now I got to spend day, time in every, every day in God's word. Now, once again, this is just going right back to the performance, right back to here. Here's, here's, here's the game plan. Okay. On three. On three, what are we going to do? We're going to pray continually to God. We're going to have a life dedicated to prayer. What else are we going to do? We're going to make sure no distractions get in our way. What else are we going to do? We're going to study our Bible every single day. You ready? On three. Break. And then you go and we're going to win the game. And at the end of the day, I did it. I did it. I prayed all day and I studied my Bible. Woohoo! Wait, I got to try to do that again tomorrow. Wait, I got to try to do it the next day. And it just seems it becomes a performance. 
At least that's my fear. I know some of you may not agree with me here. And then here comes number three. And this is the one that really, now that I see it, this is the one I think they may bother me the most. Find accountability and support. We were created to be relational and connect with others. Now, wait a minute. Okay, now I got to be building a relationship with other people. I'm start, I thought I've got a life dedicated to prayer and that other people can't fill the void. So only God can. So I thought it was a life dedicated to prayer. Oh yeah, and every single day studying God's word. But wait a minute, wait a minute, ladies and gentlemen, wait. I'm created to be relational and I got to connect with others. Now I got to figure out how to be connecting to other people. Well, if I'm talking to God all day, what am I supposed to be connecting to other people? I don't know. I, you, we we got to figure all of this out. But well, wait, let's see what it says here. We were created to be relational and to connect with others, which is why fellowship with others can help us develop a deeper relationship with Christ, therefore improving our prayer life. So actually connecting with other people will supposedly actually improve your prayer life. Who knew, right? You're supposed to be talking to God and you're supposed to be studying the Bible. A life dedicated to those things, but wait, 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 wait. If you connect with other people, it will actually help you in your prayer life. And then they they give us this sentence. Whether you attend a church that helps grow your faith, join a Bible study, or make time to just sit with a close friend over coffee, these all open the door for Jesus to join us. Well, basically, number three, they don't really say it here, but it's find accountability and support. Now, I want you to just think about this. Yeah. Someone just says it's confusing to fit all of this together. Right. You got to sit there and like, okay, wait, I got to do this. I got to do this. I got to do this. But we just please note it's doing, 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 because this is how you accomplish it. It's all performance based. But here's the thing. I, number three, they don't really, I want, I, I was reading those paragraphs before I really gave you number three, because I wanted to see how they described it. They didn't really go into detail, but find accountability and support. Now I've got to ask you a question. Think of a relationship you're in, husband, wife, children, whatever the case may be, right? Let's say your your child, let's say your child is 11 years old. Child hasn't been communicating with you, hasn't been really wanting to talk to you. You feel like you're losing that closeness and it's bothering you some. So all of a sudden one day you're in the study or you're in the living room and your, your child comes walking in with someone with them. And you're like, hey, what's going on? Hey, hey, mom, here's my friend. Uh, they're, 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 they're my accountability partner. Oh, what are they here for? Well, they're my accountability partner to help me talk to you. <laughs> they have an accountability partner to ensure that I talk to you. Now, if you need an accountability partner to help you communicate with someone, Didn't there, isn't there deeper problems? I need an accountability partner to get me to come talk. See, if my account- accountability partner here is I'm not talking to you. I'm just walking right on past. I'm walking through the living room, around the living room, over the living room, under the living room. I'm avoiding you. I don't want to talk to you. But my accountability partner is here to say, hey, 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 before we go play video games, before we go watch television, before we look at videos on TikTok, we got to stop. You got to talk to your mom for 15 minutes. Now you go talk to your mom for 15 minutes. I'm your accountability partner. Partner. 
If your prayer life needs an accountability partner, isn't the issue deeper than an accountability partner? In there, there's something you don't want to communicate. Now, accountability partner is like you need an accountability partner to maybe help you with your diet or help you with exercise or help you get your schoolwork done or help you be better with time management. But an accountability partner to communicate with your God? In some ways, I think it's just as weird as having an accountability partner to get you to study God's word. Do you need someone to hold you accountable because because you don't feel like opening up the word of God and reading and and studying his the word he gave to you? That that's to me makes it feel like again like an accountability partner to help you jog three miles, an accountability partner to to work out. It, it's like it reduces it to like performance a task to be accomplished. It seems to destroy any meaningful, loving relationship. And then this is their closing thoughts. If you really want to have a life devoted to prayer, now back to this, if you really want to have a life devoted to prayer, that phrase, a life devoted to prayer, what does a life devoted to prayer even look like? If you want to, if you really want a life devoted to prayer and earnestly seek the Lord, then we must choose to see him and meet with him every aspect of our lives. Next time a beautiful sunset is spread across the sky, rejoice in him. When you have a quiet time on the back porch, seize that moment and talk to him. And when you have a precious moment with a loved one that melts your heart, thank him. Now you can find this article at crosswalk.com. I would challenge you to go look at it for yourself. Crosswalk.com. What does a prayer life look like? Do you see your Christian life first and foremost in terms of victory versus defeat, carnal versus spiritual, fleshly versus worldly, winning versus losing? Victorious versus defeat, growing versus backsliding. Now I know those contrasts exist, but what is what what becomes the what is the negatives of seeing it in such a performance based system? What what what? How does that become a negative thing? That's not a grace based. That's not relationship. That's not gospel based. That is very a law based way way of looking at your relationship. And when it comes to your prayer life, do you tend to see prayer life as, once again, in these terms of victorious or failure or success in a, in a very fleshly way? What happens when you're, you almost adopt strategies to win at your prayer life like you would do winning any other competition? It becomes a competition. It becomes a, a performance instead of a I mean, you would hope a gospel-minded approach would be the, uh, uh, we're not performing, we're pursuing our God. We're pursuing our Heavenly Father. We're pursuing our Savior. We're pursuing out of love and gratitude and grace, not to win a competition. 
I know I just throw out a lot of ideas, but I would challenge you to just spend some time and write down that phrase, a life devoted to prayer, and ask yourself what that looks like. What does a life devoted to prayer look like? And is your life also supposed to be devoted to the study, memorization, reading, and meditating on God's Word? I meditate on God's Word day and night. I don't have any good answers here. I know that my prayer life needs definite work. I'm just not going to say another word. Email me. News. If at yahoo.com. News. If at yahoo.com. News. Um, uh, someone just says, or is it us being accountable to ourselves? Well, I think that's... I think I think I, to me that makes more sense if we're going to be accountable to ourselves, right? I'm accountable to my relationship with God. It's a good question. The, that that that's good that people are already discussing it. I just know now. I've spent 56 minutes. My performance-based, flesh-based way of looking at things. I'm going to judge this podcast. Going well, I started with this. Started with this. Well, did that mess up things too bad? Well, okay. Uh, I I read some of that too fast. Okay. Did I, did I, was I able to really distinguish my thoughts there clearly? Was I too repetitive? Like I'm going to start judging and critiquing it all. Or do I just look at it going, well, I, I gave someone a very spiritual, important concept to struggle with and think about. Maybe it will benefit someone. But see, because I will slide right back into judging things from a very performance-based, success-based way. And I, and I think that that carries over into our Christian life. And I think that there's some damaging side effects from that. And I think it's something that we need to talk about. But I will shut up. Thanks for listening. Everyone have a wonderful day. And I would love to get your thoughts about all of this. You can email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. I'm going to turn the air conditioning unit on behind me because it's now 987 degrees in here and I'm going to pass out. Someone call 911 now. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. All right. Everyone have a great day. God bless.